and happy new year it's so crazy to think that (laughs) it's finally 2021 i feel like everyone has been waiting the past what like nine months for (laughs) it to be this day and to have 2020 behind us and just a fresh start new beginning what have you um i'm certainly excited for what's in store that's also in the city in the new year and i can't wait for everyone to be tuning in and um following along But yeah, before I dive into this amazing episode um, with Abe, there were quickly a few things that I want to talk about. I actually wasn't even thinking about this because I'm recording this on a Saturday, but when this releases on Monday, it will be Matt James's premiere of his season of The Bachelor, which is so exciting. And for anyone who's been following the podcast since the beginning, you guys know that Matt James was my very first guest. He really helped me, you know, bring the podcast to life and was so supportive along the way. Um, and knowing that he's going to be, you know, the lead of a show that A, I follow religiously and B, has just such a great platform um, is so exciting. And I'm just really pumped to tune in at eight o'clock and watch his journey. So after, you know, listening to this episode, I really encourage you all to listen to Matt's episode because it'll give you a good idea of um, who the the lead is for this new season. Um, it's really easy to find. You literally just scroll down all the way to the bottom of Salson City and boom, first episode, Cookies and Connecting People with Matt James. Um, so yeah, I encourage you all to listen to that. I certainly will be refreshing on it as I tune in later tonight to see, you know, him start his journey to find a, a wife. Um, but... Yes, anyways, back to the Sauls in the City. I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode with Abe. He is just such a beam of light, and I really couldn't think of a better guest and person to bring in the new year with um, than him because I think his words of positivity and um, just his mindset is such a fresh outlook that I, I needed to start a new year off with. So I have no doubt that you guys will all feel really great after listening to this episode and um, just feeling a lot of self-love and love from just, you know, good souls out there like like Abe. So um, yeah, let me know what you think afterwards. But really quick, before I dive into the episode, I wanted to give a little plug for one of my sponsors, Zakara, specifically because um, it is the new year and I know a lot of people want to get healthy, whether it be, you know, mentally, physically, what have you. And I think they are just such a really, a great way to start specifically if you're looking to, you know, um, eat healthier in the new year, but don't really know where to get started in the kitchen. That's me. Um, I know I talk about them a lot, but I just wanted to Recap, Sakara is an organic meal delivery program um, that's based on a whole food, plant-rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient-dense, and delicious ingredients. And they have really great like pillars and a philosophy that I fully agree with. They don't want you to be counting 
calories. They are plant-based, so they want all of your protein to be from your plants. Um, and just incorporating all different like nutrient-dense ingredients as well as good fats and sulfur-rich uh, vegetables. So it's it's just a really great way to start, especially, um, especially if you're like, you know, you're wanting to eat healthy but don't really know what healthy is. They kind of do it for you. They also have an awesome four-week program. Um, it's called the believe total body reset four week program so that they have that out now and I'm pretty sure it's limited like um for a limited time only so log on to zakara.com as quickly as you can and then if you use my code xozoe you'll get 20% off um the order which is great because um you can save money in the new year so again just go to zakara.com and then use code xozoe at checkout for 20% off your order I highly recommend it Without further ado, here is Abe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sauce in the City. Today, I am so excited and very honored to be here with Ibrahim Sharkas, who is a graduate student in the realms of positive psychology. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on I'm really excited about where this conversation will go and I think you have a lot of light to shed on a number of topics as well as a lot of light to give so uh, before I dive into anything I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself where are you from how old are you where'd you go to school what's your story Okay, so first things first uh, not sure when this episode is gonna be posted but I want to wish everybody a happy holiday so we're lucky enough and blessed enough that myself and Zoe, we were able to show up on the holiday season to record an episode today. So that's th thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate your time uh, to make this happen, especially in service of the community that's going to be listening to this. That's number one. Um, on my background, I usually like to start off by explaining to the listeners that one, I'm a human, just like every <laughs> single person probably listening to this episode. So there's instant relatability there. And my background. Interesting question. My background, um, I've had the honor and privilege of studying clinical psychology for around six to seven years at Arizona State University um, throughout my undergraduate career, as well as um, studying theology and religious studies and philosophy at the same time, because theology without philosophy is really just a mixed, mixed bag of things. So both of those. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm continuing my work in the realms of positive psychology at the graduate level and knock on everything that's wood, hopefully just continuing one shot to the PhD just going and treading along there, which um, hopefully in a few years we'll talk about that if we have the chances of crossing our paths. So my approach is very untraditional and the overarching realm of what I do is always in service of humanity. My main goal and my main intention in life, it's, it's almost a twofold path. My deepest wish is that my career becomes obsolete one day where nobody needs to seek out a level of help for a reminder of who they truly are, a level of lightness, a level of love within their life, that it's just a natural component of who we truly are and we just flow in the ebb and flow of life. And two, the other component is to do group work and one-on-one -on -one work, um, again, to remind people of the essence of who they truly are throughout their lives. I love that and I, and I completely agree. That is also my hope for the future. I, I don't foresee it being too soon, but hopefully, you know, 20, 30 years from now, we'll see. Um, so just going kind of backwards, I know that my own interest in psychology stemmed from 
having personally had experiences with mental illness and kind of psychoanalyzing myself. Um, so I was wondering, how did you become interested in psychology and theology and philosophy? Was there, uh, was it just kind of, um, you know, something unrelated or was there something in your personal life that kind of intrigued you or brought, you know, launched that? That's a great question. Um, for me, I remember at the youngest of age when I used to live in Amman, Jordan, at the earliest recollections of my memories around two to one years old, um, onwards to six and seven, I always had a curiosity. I always had a curiosity of understanding what I really was, where I really was from. And the lessons that my communities would teach me were, for the most part, from the lens of religious studies. You know, you come from the essence of something larger. And I was always fascinated with understanding what that really was. Where am I really from? So fast forward a little bit, when I was around 16, 17, I would dive in even deeper into works. And some of the people that a lot of people really love today, like Alan Watts, like Manley Palmer Hall, um, like Rudolf Steiner, a lot of these theologians and philosophers of the arts, whether they be esoteric, Zen, or Eastern philosophies, really sparked a further curiosity in understanding, again, the essence of what am I? Who really am I? I don't think I am just, you know, a bag of bones or a skin bag, you know what I mean? Just a, a walking thing that just walks yeah. in life. I think there's more to life than that. And fast forward from 16 to around 18 and 19, I didn't know where I should go. I didn't know if it was university. I, I didn't know what I should be doing, quite frankly. I enrolled in a community college and I learned about social work and I learned about um, psychology. What attached, really, really, really attached me to that isn't a self-analysis. It was the art of compassionate service. What I've been noticing in, in little pinpoints of my life is any time that I put myself, whatever I think I really am, out of the way and I compassionately serve a group, I compassionately serve someone else, I compassionately serve an animal, I compassionately serve a human, I compassionately serve a mission, whether we call it essence, whether we call it soul, whether we call it love, whether we call it abundance, whether we call it joy, flourished in my life. And mm -hmm. I fell in love with that aspect. I fell in love with that part of life. So that entered me into the realms of psychology to say, hey, should I get my license? Should I work in as a certified alcohol drug counselor? Should I just keep going up the ladder, as we said in the beginning of this conversation, mm -hmm. to wherever that takes me? Um, but I loved it because it was in service for the greater good of humanity. And one of my biggest missions in life is, and I, I think it's a universal mission, I hope that people can see this and find this within themselves, is to make the world a little bit greener and lighter than when we came in whichever shape and form, whether you're a rug maker in um, Uzbekistan to, you know, a, a coffee drinker and a coffee maker in Morocco to, you know, a man in London who makes fine artwork. As long as you can use the medium that you've been graced as a gift within yourself to communicate that level of love, morality and ethics behind it, this world will be such a beautiful place. So psychology found me and it was a medium that I loved because I was always fascinated with the mind and the, the connection, not the disconnect, between the mind and what we deem soul. That's so interesting. And I think it, it actually, I think, almost answers my first question or, or my next question, which was going to be to kind of explain what you meant by unconventional. But it, it mm -hmm. seems almost like you had an interest in more of like the philosophical elements and like why are we the way we are? 
as a human race, as opposed to me looking internally being like, why does this small inconvenience impact me so much more than another person? And then slowly kind of connecting the dots that it's not just impacting me like this, it's impacting other people and kind of expanding on, you know, starting micro looking macro, you kind of started macro. Right. Yeah. And there is one, if I can add to that, there is one man, um, I have a person that really impacted me in my life. His name is Dr. Carlos Warder. I'm lucky to call him a teacher. I'm lucky to call him a friend. I'm lucky to call him a brother. I'm lucky to call him many different things in my life. He's a psychotherapist. Um, And his work really impacted me and the work that I have to be able to do with him and alongside with him has shifted and changed my perspective on life. But the last um, time that I saw him, he was discussing a book by uh, Ramana Maharishi. And it's a famous yogi. A lot of people used to know him in the 70s. He shifted a lot of things, 60s and 70s, from people's perspective. But he wrote a very big book called Who Am I? Do you know how many pages that book was? Like a thousand plus? 28. Oh. That's it. It was the smallest little pamphlet on identity and understanding who we really were. And I'm coming from a stance nowadays where in graduate work, which I know, Hopefully, I can say this on the podcast, but congratulations, because I know big Thank things are you. happening in your life. So you can talk about that in another. I don't know if you want to. I don't want I don't. I do not want to spoil the surprise for people who are listening to this. But <laughs> congratulations. Preseason congratulations. Thank you but so much. You're welcome. In graduate work, you're going to know you're going to get accustomed to a thesis. You're going to get accustomed to writing and writing and writing about a topic that thankfully you, you really love to express and, and think about and dwell into. Yeah, there is a perennial viewpoint which was a system that is a little bit older, but a guy named Aldous Huxley coined. Yeah. Perennial philosophy stems from four core questions. It is, who am I? Or what am I? Where am I from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Those four tenets, if one is really able to answer those, really, really, to the best of their own deep knowing, life becomes lighter it becomes lighter in the sense that you can almost not cruise on autopilot, but the things that may bring us anxiety, peak moments of depression, don't burn away, but they dwindle almost like a flame when it's a minute level of tinder that's going out, it fizzles away with those four questions. So I made it a mission in my life to really understand those core questions and it's been assisting me greatly upon my path, even in the moments that I felt peak anxiety and depression. And it always stemmed from me going against the grain and doing things because I thought I was supposed to do it that way. I thought that's what I was. I thought I was my degree. I thought I was my job. I thought I was a friend, a son, that that's what my identity was. But lo and behold, it wasn't. I kind of have a follow-up question about that. What's your opinion on Huxley's you know, statement? Like, Do you think we can ever really answer those questions? It's almost yes. like, you think we can? Yes. I know we Interesting. Because the, 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 if you look at some individuals, there's some people who study prenatal theories, whether that's true or not. And what I mean by prenatal theories is when an infant, let's say prior to even being born, can that, can that entity and being feel certain things or experience certain things, whether it's trauma, actions, and activity. And then there's theories of a baby, a little, little baby, a little thing. That could be a blank canvas that's ready to be painted on by outside influences. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that a child 
one-year-old and two-year-old feel so much. They can experience love in one second and then, oh my gosh, this is not good, this is not cool. Oh my gosh, emergency, emergency, emergency. And they just let that go and experience it. But in that level of a quote-unquote blank slate, there's such a level of purity and blankness that they can synthesize so many things by just being. They're being first, mm-hmm. doing second. Being first, doing second. In the world, 2020 that we are in today, yeah. it's almost as if we're shifting to a productivity world. We're in a world where we want to do, 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 do so many things. Do uh, schoolwork, do um, video work, do this on social media, do this as a farmer, do this as a brand, do this as a marketer, blah, 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 and on and on and on and on. But we're forgetting the essence of just being. And that fact can be alluded to whether we look at modern research by psychotherapists or psychologists as shit it may be true oh, excuse me if i cursed is that okay yep go for it shit it may be true it, we must have a deep dive on it so can we find the answers to those core questions yes based on where we are 100 percent, we could i do deeply believe we can but it takes a lot of unwork not work Ooh, yeah i like that yeah huxley's a very interesting person um especially you know having read brave new world before oh yeah all of this all of this shit happened um but yeah and and so i wanted to i or i guess kind of going back to i think from what you mentioned earlier you've been in the clinical psychology realm for like eight nine ten years or Mm so total yeah Um, But you do have some focus areas. So I was wondering if you could explain those and also explain, you know, why you, what, why you decided to go and focus on those, those areas. (laughs) Not so well said on my part. Yeah, sure. For me, yeah, no, I can totally hear you on that. But for me, uh, I chose to go the route of positive psychology when, well, one, when choosing a graduate school and choosing to do higher up work, it can be anxiety driven. Oh my goodness, I'm choosing yeah. this path and I, right? And I have to decide this path for another four to five years. Oh my goodness, that's a big commitment right there. Quite so ironic. I, yeah, yes, yes, it is. And then I decided to go a more of an untraditional route because, and I have different steps of the way that I want to take it. So two things that piqued my interest, actually three things really that piqued my interest, one of them being positive psychology, which I'm dedicating the next four to five years on. It's the art of really understanding the core character strengths of who a human being is based on key virtues that we really, really have. And how can we take it and strengthen it within ourselves? Can somebody strengthen the wit of, of resilience within their body if they've never really done that before? Can one strengthen the aspects of spirituality within their lives if they've never done that before? Or love if one has never experienced that before? And I really believe we can. It just takes a lot of unwork to remember again these core characteristics of what we really are to flourish and discover that again and again and again. Now, another aspect that I'm really fascinated with, which I'm also going to study side by side with um, positive psychology, is core energetics. Have you ever heard of that? No. Core energetics takes therapy from the mind to the body. Can a person who's feeling anxiety or depression trap that within our bodies? Is there, is there a way that our physiology shows up and we really show up and shine that way? Whether it's with 
weight gain, which I've experienced when I was depressed extensively. Like I would just gain constant weight and I would eat, eat, eat all along. Was I trapping certain trauma and wounds in my body? So there's whole theoretical research on that, on that path that I think is very important to do that I would love to dedicate time to. So I'm fascinated with untraditional routes to bridge it with traditional studies from a clinical sense to practice it therapeutically with individuals. Hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, and actually I have something to add because... Please. Um, so I work a lot with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and they have an initiative called Project 2025 that um, my friend is, um, I think, on the board of something like on the board of, she's uh, very involved. And basically the whole concept is that they did like a systems analysis and found that the four, there are four key areas that if targeted could reduce the um, suicide rate by 20% by 2025. And the four areas were um, firearms, obviously, um, incarceration, emergency departments, and uh, what was the last one? And I think it there it was emergency part departments, and then just your common um, healthcare systems. Right. And there's this crazy statistic that I would have never known if I hadn't had this conversation with my friend Brookie that something like 49% of people who die by suicide have been to their primary care physician within the past month, which is kind of what you're saying, but, you know, backing it up with the statistics because it's showing you that something is clearly going on in their brain and it's manifesting in their bodies and they're going to, whether it's, you know, you're sick, you break your arm, something is bringing you to see your doctor and it's kind of like the whole point of project 2025 is to nip it in the bud right there and say and to ask the correct questions um when you're at the doctor as opposed to just filling out a form being like on a scale of one to five how depressed have you been the past week because it's like you know are you really gonna how much of that is going to be answered truly so um that's a really interesting coincidence that you're studying that because I've also just been fascinated by that recently after learning that stat. Yeah, and there it's such a it, it's interesting that you bring that up. Um with with suicide and suicide prevention, which is very near and dear to my heart based on close relationships that I've and I honestly just on a personal level that I've experienced. But mm -hmm. it's it's quite too often that that's happening in our society at a rampant rate. And with one thing that I want to dedicate the next 20 to 30 years on is figuring out a way to add more value outside the scope of another hotline or outside of the scope of another, another different venture that may be able to be done better. There was a recent study done on gratitude. As far-fetched as, far as a principle as that because there's so many people who do gratitude journals and daily gratitude practices. And it can seem... Uh, silly, unfortunately, on the surface because it's done at such a high rate. But there's people who are actually investigating to see, hey, does a daily gratitude practice assist somebody later on in life that once they have a peak anxiety moment or peak depression to not dissolve it, but come up with a resolution and a tool upon their tool belt to adapt and flow a little bit better from that. 
So one big project that I'm taking on, and um, it's now trying to figure out how to get more grants for it and to fund it properly, it's called Daily Drop of Love. And the whole premise of this is with hotlines, what we're noticing, or based on certain researches and trends, if you take an X and a Y axis, right, X and a Y Mm. axis, at the peak slope, usually the hotlines come in at the peak, peak moments of experience. And not that it's not too late, but it's just such a high moment of that. Where from that peak to the bottom, maybe one to 2% of feelings that come up, the services that are only available for the most part, whether they be public health care services, counseling, psychotherapy, rarely do people see or go in because they're waiting for a peak escalation point, which it's like uh, there's a philosopher from Somalia who says it's unfortunate that we fix the bridges only when they're broken rather yeah, than patching exactly. them up in the beginning. So Daily Drop of Love was that same premises where it's a free service, it's a text-based service where people can get daily significant moments of gratitude and practices directly to their phone. So throughout their day, they can have a little practice, whether it's a meditative practice, an act of service, an act of remembrance within their life. So prior to those peak moments of experiences, they have so many tools in their tool belt that they can implement instantly prior to an event that could be catastrophic for one's life to happen. So that's where... Uh, one of my peak interests and a level of service that I want to kind of give to the world is as well. Big time. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think it's kind of, I, I know what you, what you mean by it being quote unquote silly, because I think, you know, a lot of times people don't start gratitude because they're like, I'm fine. I'm not going to start writing like daily, you know, affirmations or um, things I'm grateful for. But And then if once, you know, once they start spiraling, you're like, what am I going to write? What am I grateful for? So it's starting early. It's, it's, as you said, like preventative because once you get into that routine, you're, you're starting your day off thinking about positive thoughts. And I personally felt like I used to be the most pessimistic person ever. So, I mean. I would never guess that. Really? Oh, no. From the first I mean, time we met till yeah now, <laughs> never I would never assume that you're like a being of light. From the first oh, time we talked. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean it's definitely I'd say medication has helped, and yeah. I am a big believer in in take in in go in removing the stigma around medication for mental health because I, it's Absolutely. something that prevented me from, or the stigma is something that prevented me from seeking treatment um, personally. But I yeah I used to be. I say superstitious, but I use air quotes because in hindsight, it was, it wasn't superstition. It was anxiety. It was, right. um, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, like manifesting. It was all of those things. But I used to think, oh, if I go into the day being positive, something bad's going to happen. I'm going to jinx myself. And then once I started, I did have one of those, like the five minute journal and I started writing in it and I was like, wait, this is weird because everything, you know, they, they make you say three things that would make this day great. Right. All of those things happened. And granted, a lot of it, it's, you're manifesting it. You have in your mind, you're like, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go, you know, make someone smile. And like in the back of your mind, you're, you're like, oh, wait, I, I didn't do that one thing. Like, let me just I, I kind of want to, you know, validate what I just wrote down. So. I'm a firm believer in it now. And I, even when I got, you know, the acceptance letter, I'm I'm just going to keep the whole little details on the side. Like five years ago, or I don't even know, when did I get into college? A long time ago. Um, 
my attitude was completely different. Like I was like, I'm not mm. going to open the letter. I'm going to jinx it. If I'm in this place, I'm going to wait till I'm sitting down in a coffee shop and like open it with my parents. And this time I was on a run. I had had a bad day. I was like, well, here goes nothing. Like there's two ways that this could work out. Let's see which one like it is. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm crying from happy tears. <laughs> Instead right. of, uh, you know, ruminating in, in something that was out of my, control at a certain point so yeah I'm a big big believer in kind of basically what you said and also like you know manifestation and the positive affirmations that can actually really make our lives better yeah and if can I ask you a question based on your journey yeah of course what would be if somebody is experiencing something similar to what you've experienced in your own history, in your own story, what's one piece of sage advice that you would give that person? Oof, that's that's a tough question because I feel like there's, my journey's been so nuanced. So it, mm-hmm. it really depends on, you know, whether it be the depression, the anxiety, the eating disorder, the suicide loss. Like I have little bits and pieces of advice for each. Um, but I think just one thing overall that can kind of encompass any sort of mental illness is to A, not be afraid to reach out to anyone, whether it be a friend, whether it be to a therapist. I work with BetterHelp. Um, they're a sponsor of this podcast, and they're, and they're incredible. Um And also, I think something that's really important is to both hold yourself accountable in the recovery process and also have someone, whether it be a therapist, whether it be a family member or just someone who can who also is holding you accountable, because I think it's very easy. You know, recovery is not a is not linear at all. Absolutely. I found that in most, if not all of my mental illness dips there, or, you know, there, there, it's just been a complete roller coaster. So, um, I, I'll use the eating disorder as an example because it's what was most recent and most, I think, um, it's one of the most, it's one of the mental illnesses that comes with the most shame because there's just like a lot of shame and in admitting to yourself that what you think is just, you know, your way of living, your way of eating, your way of whatever, um, is actually a problem. And only in hindsight, do you realize like all of the, the behaviors you were, that all the behaviors you were doing were, were not normal and were like very big warning signs. Um, I think that when I finally, I actually like came out about it on this podcast when I finally did that I felt this immense weight off my shoulders and off my chest because it was like now it's out in the world I don't feel like I have to you know apologize to anyone or say like hey by the way I have an eating like I have an eating disorder I had one I'm recovering I didn't have to explain myself because I was like if if they want to know they can just subscribe like there's it's out in the world so I think that yeah just 
in a word, like be vulnerable, whether it be to whomever you're speaking with, because it's really freeing and it's really helpful. So that'd be my advice. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. And I wholeheartedly, how you said that and how you phrased it based on the stitching and the threads within your own life and your own existence and your own story and your journey, I really, truly hope that people are impacted um, softly, gently, and inspired by the same. But it's a beautiful thing to witness. So thank you for sharing and thank you for experiencing your journey. Appreciate you. Yeah, of course. That's why That's why I have this podcast. I'm like, <laughs> it's funny because now and. I'm such an open book. I'm like, when people like ask if they can ask me something personal, I'm like, of, of course, <laughs> like I, this is what right. I do. <laughs> um, and as you said that, what, what a good is, I mean, behind, <laughs> I have too many books behind me. So I usually tell people what's, what benefit or what good is in a book that remains closed for a lifetime? What true benefit and good is there? None. The knowledge would be. Oh, less. okay. I thought you were asking like for a book that. Oh I, no, just. No, just almost like a little uh, a little story based on that, a little moral virtue based on what you expressed. But. No, oh, okay, I completely agree. I completely agree yeah. with that statement. That's actually a beautiful phrase. I, the minute you said like book and benefit, I was just started thinking about Glennon Doyle. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was like, wait, I had to take a step back. But now I see the, that, the beauty in that metaphor. But yeah. also I encourage everyone to read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. There we go. Um, and I have a number of other books that I, I just love, but, um, beautiful. Hey guys, really quick. I wanted to talk about two other sponsors of my podcast. The first is BetterHelp. As I mentioned in basically every single episode, um, they are an amazing online counseling service that I use. You can get therapy from your couch, be matched with a licensed therapist who can best um, help you like work on yourself and just bring out the best version of yourself. I got immediately matched with someone I love, but of course you can um, switch if your counselor isn't exactly what you were looking for at that time. Um, they also are extremely affordable and that's very necessary. And I'm just so grateful that there are services like BetterHelp because it gets a little bit closer to one day having therapy be accessible to all, which is the goal. Um, but to get started, you can get 10% off your first month by going to trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe. I really encourage it. You mentioned this podcast that, you know, therapy is just an essential tool for life and it truly is. I couldn't say enough good things about this company. So again, trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe. I also wanted to give a quick plug for BE Digital. They are the group that made my incredible website. Um, they are a couple that just is really passionate about helping create something that really reflects your brand. And I've had friends also um, use them to create their websites and everyone just, I mean, if you go to solaceinthecity.com, you can see just all the beautiful things they can create. So again, BE Digital, um, I have their contact information if you want. So just send me a DM and I will be happy to forward them along to you or vice versa. Um, so I, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Let's go back to the episode. I did want to ask you because Please. I thought it was really interesting your description of, you know, the two different perspectives or that's not the right word, but views of a baby, you know, yep. like because I think it kind of alludes to the question of nature versus nurture. It's mm -hmm. you know, like do are we born a certain way that like and also in the same realm like you know 
do we have a certain fate that we're predisposed to or um, are we, as you said, like a blank canvas that can be molded? And I was like, I just was interested to hear your thoughts because, you know, I come from a family that has a lot of um, mental health issues, you know, parents with anxiety, um, loved ones with depression. And so in that way, I know like there is genetics, genetics behind a lot of what I've experienced. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I think that uh, granted, you know, this is something that I want to work on as a parent and is part of the reason that I'm going into so, it, to social work and want to become a therapist because I know that I have this ge genetic background that may give, if I decide to go and have children, may give my children or my child anxiety or anything that I've experienced. So I think a lot, I think there, there's, oh, obviously parents can't and shouldn't be responsible for molding their child and fixing their problems and ensuring that they, you know, don't suffer. But I do think that they, your parents or your guardians can have an influence over, you know, not adding further burdens and further little T traumas and things like that. So I would love to hear your psychological opinion on the whole nature versus nurture concept. Sure. I'd give you uh, a short answer and I'd give you a, uh, a little bit of a longer answer to that <laughs> question. And I don't know the answer to this fully yet. I can only give my perspective. Now, the short answer is it's not this or that. I think it's a bridge between this and that. Yep. It's a combination then thereof of both the aspects of genetics, true, and the aspects of conditioning and social um, social conditions as well do alleviate that extensively. The long-winded answer comes with a story. So I like stories. <laughs> I'm yeah. a storyteller. That's my favorite thing. But with the story goes like this. Years ago, I had the opportunity of meeting a man who was a uh, practitioner of Tibetan Buddhism of one of the schools. And he also happened to be a Chinese medicinal doctor. And he also studied Tibetan medicine. And I didn't know anything about Tibetan medicine when I met the man. Really didn't know anything. He owned a farm in Vermont that specializes in biodynamics. Uh, and I was fascinated with agriculture then. And he taught me many different things with that I've never really known before. And the most fascinating thing answered the question that you're alluding to, at least to me, or put me upon the path of really understanding that perspective. And it revolved around Tibetan, Buddhist, uh, Tibetan medicine specifically. Tibetan medicine originates from a construct and a thought that some believe that you combine um, preventative care and surgical wisdom in both. It's not one or the other, it's together. There mm -hmm. is some theorist in that school that wanted to take the best of the best of westernized medicine. We, in America, in the West, in westernized cultures, we cannot be the level and knowledge of surgery. It's so meticulously well done, even modern medicine. It's fantastic. The speed of it, the research of it, the theories of it, it's almost as if it's um, night and day, the speed. It's ever evolving and ever evolving. Now, with Tibetan medicine, it's so 
old. It's so mm-hmm. broad. But their theory that works very, very well is preventative care, not necessarily emergency care. So some philosophers of the East, they said we would eventually live in paradise when we're able to combine preventative care alongside with surgical care. And we bridge them both together in a harmony. And I think that's the same component between nature versus nurture. When we can have philosophers from a theological standpoint combine their work with psychiatrists, when we can have physicists combine their work with modern medicinal theorists or traditional medicinal theorists, we'll start to build bridges so everything begins to make even a deeper level of sense. And my hope is, my really deep hope is that in the near future, more uh, individuals, whether they're young or old, wake up, wake up to a sense of wanting to build bridges so everything kind of connects and looks as one, look at one thing in a holy way, in a holistic way. So I don't think it's nature or nurture, one or the other. I think it's this and that, not this or that. Hopefully that makes sense. Completely. And I absolutely love that. And it seems like that's exactly the path you're trying to go down with combining, yes. you know, theology and um, philosophy with psychology. Um, it's funny because I was actually, I was having this conversation with my roommate like two days ago because she's a nurse and her brother is a philosopher and or studies philosophy. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, and she's also Mexican and so her mom is like very, very Catholic, very spiritual um, and even to the point of like believes in wish, witchcraft mm-hmm. and basically what we were talking about was how what's so interesting about or no, sorry the brother studies not philosophy he studies physics so mm-hmm. almost opposite. the same uh, sometimes <laughs> exactly it's opposite but almost the same and that's kind of what we were saying is what's right. so interesting about religion what's so interesting about physics is like they're all trying to answer the same question but going about it in different ways whether it be looking at like you know Oh gosh, I was a mechanical engineering major for one year. I should know like Newton, Newton's laws. Yeah, look at like Newton's I, laws or you know Aristotle's theories. Like it's all about, as you said, like connecting that bridge because I think by doing so, those two different areas or people in those two different areas would actually find that they have a lot more in common in what they're looking at than what they have different. Yes. And if I go full circle in our conversation, if you look at the core of what everyone is really searching for, it's an understanding of what or who we really are mm-hmm. at the core of it most of the time. And bringing up Aristotle to a point, he wouldn't accept any students unless they had a prerequisite in astronomy, mathematics, and medicine. He oh, wouldn't God, bring them on. That. So it's fascinating that that was the entry exam. It wasn't a uh, MCAT or uh, an LSAT, I think, or what's the other one for law? Those are the ones that you had to enter. So you had to have a pre-existing notion of those those level of uh, strengths to enter his school. It could be a little bit different, but I think those are the three core the three core tenets to be taken on as a student first. That's so interesting. I should know that. I'm Greek, so I should, I should do a little bit more research into that. <laughs> There's extensive history, extensive history of Greek mythology and Greek mythos. And I hope that um, 
as you continue learning and evolving in many different ways in the next few years and on and on and on, I hope you um, find a new level of love and fascination with Greek mythology from the standpoint of psychological research because you can find extensive, extensive work from people like Ibn Sina with his books of medicine to uh, Adelphi to other components of that where you can start connecting what psychology is, what the mind really is with mythos to correlate trauma, anxiety, sadness, joy, love in a modern day sense for people to understand. And I think you're on a beautiful path of embarking this and it's, it's inspiring to see, seriously. Thank you. I'm definitely gonna ask for some book recommendations after this because I'm, I'm like, my brain is like lighting up right now. Um, I did have like a, a few other questions Please. before wrapping up. Um, um, specific to developing those character strengths that you talked about. Mm-hmm. So, like, for those who are, you know, are like myself, we're both, you know, predisposed to psychological conditions as well as have had external factors affect my own mental well-being. How, what are ways that we can, as you said, both develop these character strengths or you know, continue enhancing them and practice positivity and practice gratitude, especially at, you know, a time where sometimes it almost feels like, I don't know, I I have a good friend who's a therapist, for example, and I I help her with social media. And a lot of times when I, I'm like, like I said something like, let's do a post about, you know, the benefits, like flipping the side, flipping the coin and saying, what are the benefits of Christmas being different this year? Like we post something like that. And she said, I love that concept, but I bear, I try very hard because that could be seen as insensitive to some people. And I thought that was interesting because it's definitely something I'm going to have to, you know, work on and learn as I go into that field. But also I, it's, it's like walking a very thin line because on one hand, there are ways to think about the little, little things that we can be grateful for at this time. But at the same time, I personally think that by, by looking for those silver linings, that's not in any way disregarding all of the tragedy, all of the deaths, all of the job losses that have occurred this past year. So I was wondering, you know, what your take on that was and also what your advice would be to anyone who's, you know, heading into the new year or kind of closing out this past shitty year um, and trying to think of things to be grateful for. Okay, that is a, and I'm, that's a big question and I'm looking yeah, at sorry, a I, of, of I went on like a wrote. big tangent. That's a good, that's a good, that's a really good, that's a, that is a question that you can probably write so many books upon, I think, that's, as I'm looking out the window <laughs> thinking about that. Um, a few points that I want to bring up to that. Life is love and love is life. If as tough and challenging as moments happen in life, I think we should walk with a level of awareness and a level of sincerity for ourselves in our own journey. One, two, in life, everything in this lifetime is temporary. This physical body, this physical lifetime is absolutely temporary. 
Now, with crisis, with moments of loss of a job, with peak moments of crisis, a lot of times, granted that it does peak anxiety, it could peak, it can peak trauma for sure, but the interesting thing is crisis at times brings a flash of observation. And if one takes that level of observing with a deep sense of awareness, whether it's talking to a holy community that that one surrounds them with friends, uh, lovers, uh, family, seeing a psychotherapist, seeing a teacher, seeing a healer, whatever route the, or the path the person wants to take, if you have a level of sincerity with that observation, things can begin to work and unfold at a fast level. But you know, you, you don't want to not ever forget the level of love that got you here so far. Now, very woo-woo. Let's, let me ground that now conversation <laughs> a little bit. With positive psychology, with the character strengths that, that are there and available, the beauty is this. If you can see love, joy, happiness, zest, spirituality, wisdom, uh, kindness, humility, in this outside world of ours, in this outside world of ours, the beauty is that we have it within ourselves as well. It's within us. Human beings are the most divine mirrors in the world. If I stare at a mirror from ancient Greece to modern day today, it gives us what? A reflection, a reflection mm -hmm. of who we really are. So if there's love in this world that a person can see just for a flash, whether it's an extreme crisis or not, we have it within ourselves to do the same. If somebody can see joy, we have it within ourselves to do the same. But it takes work sometimes to shift the perspective, not to state the perspective. Case in point, I remember at the peak moment in my life when I had extreme depression, extreme depression and anxiety, fear, all these things started coming up. And every day I remember crying. I'd be so sad. I, I, I wasn't wrapped in my identity. I lost a job. I, it, it was such a turbulent time in my life. When things shifted out of seeing a psychotherapist, out of doing the work upon myself, I remember I had a call with a dear friend of mine and he was with me all along the way. And I showed up to the call looking directly at the camera. And I said, ah, oh, life is amazing. You know, it's such a beautiful day and I'm so happy things are changing, things are shifting. And he stops me and he asks me, oh, what, what changed? Question threw me off. Yeah. Sh it shocked me. And this is how it did. I looked outside of this same window and I said, nothing. I still have the same things. I still have the same books behind me. I'm still with a lovely, my lovely then girlfriend, now fiance in my life. Oh, All that shifted was going from black and white to color. <sighs> same yeah. frequency, same channel, same reality, but perspective shifted. So that process of cleaning up and clearing up, whether it's working with a wisdom tradition in ancient philosophy, physics, because there's people who study physics who find so many different things about our reality, to psychotherapy, to counseling, to psychopharmacology, there's so many different ways that take us to the same place, which is a sacred place. And if broken down, it's whole, a holistic place of understanding the wholeness of our being. So my hope for, to answer that question, if there's four key things 
outside of understanding your character strengths, which there's tests, there's the VIA, uh, VIA character strength test or the VIA character strength institute, which is free, to seeing a therapist, which is very important. So there, I hope yep. one day there's no stigma against that. It's, it's per- the easiest way I always tell people, it's normal. Make it the new normal. Talk yeah. to people, express yourself. So no fear in that. But if there's four key tenets that I think are so important upon this year, especially this year that we're all alive in, it's diving a little bit deeper into what love is for you, what humility is for you, what awareness is for you, and what self-regulation can be within your life. And I think those four tenets may allude to a new realization and evolution of what we really are. I love that. And I, yeah, I think that's great advice because sometimes it is a little hard to, you know, where to begin, to begin that journey. But, uh, and thank you for sharing that. And um, we need so to I be gentle on ourselves up. too. I was going to yeah. just add to oh, that. Oh, 100%. Thing. No, it's just such a, the gentleness is an important thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. Being kind to yourself is something I have been working on and continue to work on. And it, it's not an easy process, but it's a necessary one. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I always wrap up with a couple of rapid fire questions unrelated to everything we've talked about before. But I'm curious to hear your response, uh, your responses. First question is, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Yes and no. How's yes and no? Like, yes, if my perspective admits to want to shift my head a little bit to see that, or no, if my awareness isn't true, I'll miss it. It's a good point. Um, Second question is, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Yes. One word. It's a big one. Love. True. You've di- you have mentioned that a couple of times. Third, what do you love most about yourself? Myself and love. <laughs> I love the entity of what I really am. Which I have a love. level of, of respect of what I am, which always comes down to the core principle and tenet of love. I truly feel that I am a beacon of love and everybody that I see in this world, no matter the shape, no matter the size, no matter the ethnicity, the gender, the sex, the religion, the belief, the career, the character, I truly see the essence of love. Sometimes I have to squint a little bit to see it or make sure I'm wearing my glasses with a heavy prescription, but love truly is always present. Oh, that's amazing. And I hope that more people, it's uh, it's always so frustrating when people don't know how to answer that. Not because, you know, nothing on them. It's just we've been conditioned to only find the worst in ourselves. And I think that it's always really refreshing when I have someone on who will be like, what, what do you love most about yourself? And I'm like, oh, where do I begin? Like, <laughs> I love like this. And it's just, it's refreshing and um, important. Thank you. And last question is, how do you find solace in the city? And city can be, you know, either physical or whatever you want it to be. With three, with three layers that I learned from my teacher, which are service, whichever way that I can do it, meditation, in whichever way that works, and holy community, which to me is a global community within this world of ours. Those three keys. 
service, meditation, and holy company. Well, Abe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like I've learned so much. I'm so eager to hear your book recommendations, which I'll share <laughs> with um, with my followers. But where can my followers keep up with you, what you're doing? I know you have three books out there. Plug everything. Yeah, so easiest way a lot of times is through social media and Instagram. I am not the uh, social media wizard that a lot of people are nowadays. <laughs> and with school taking up most of my time, sometimes I'm not on social media that often. But I highly, highly recommend if somebody needs a little bit of love, if somebody needs a little bit of gratitude every single day, text this number. It's 202-918-3327. It is a completely free service. And daily text messages get sent out directly to your phone. Um, I have the privilege of sending them out every day. And then therapists, counselors, teachers, healers, alternative and modern, all team up as well. And they all share their wisdom directly through that, completely free for anybody. And it also gives you a daily thought of the day to practice within your life. And you'll notice a change with it. So many people have been doing it and it's been remarkable of the words, especially this holiday season yesterday, the beginning of the holiday season, at least for me, um, of seeing the feedback so far. But it's been it's been remarkable and incredible. And I'm glad that's a service for free for this world of ours. Amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely add that in the show notes because I will also be texting it. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, Abe, thank you so much and bye.